Good morning. You're just in time. Welcome to the St. Gabriel Cafe, your sacred space to sip on today's local blend of faithful encouragement. Let's start our day together. Good morning, friends. Come on in, pull up a chair. I'm Dave Orsborne. And I'm Amanda Miller, and we are thrilled to have you here with us in the St. Gabriel Cafe, our live and local morning show. Mr. Cameron Clutter is our barista, and in a few minutes this morning, we'll begin a new series with Dr. Marlon Delatore on the Apostles' Creed. Then at about 8.20, Father Jacques Kick, pastor of Our Lady of Victory and Our Lady of Lebanon Maronite Mission of Columbus will join us. We'll chat with Father Kick about Lent and explore how we might better cultivate an interior life. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning, Dave. You start us with a prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Lord, we, we thank you for another day, for your goodness and for your blessings. Lord, we ask that you meet us in every moment of, of our day that we remember to just turn to you, especially in those, those moments that we're struggling, um, or even in those moments of great joy to just give you praise and honor and glory for, for all that you are doing and accomplishing in our lives. Lord, we ask for greater faith, hope, and charity, especially during this Lent to just grow um, deeper in the theological virtues, but also in those particular virtues and holy habits that you are drawing us to be attentive to this Lent. We ask for Our Lady's intercession, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Turn back to you, Lord. That stood out to me this morning in uh, one of the passages from Tobit in the morning office when you turn back to him with all your heart to do what is right before him then he will turn back to you and no longer hide his face from you a lot of turning going on there <laughs> how was your evening it was nice it was uh restful good how good. was your evening restful as well which was uh nice to have uh a restful evening here between the conferences, still a little bit tired coming out of the women's conference. And yeah. now we're preparing for the men's conference this coming Saturday, called to be saints, the 27th annual Catholic men's conference happening this Saturday, February 24th at the Ohio Expo Center. Gentlemen, go on to stgabrielradio.com to register. And you're recording more Divine Mercy chaplets. That's right. This week I have a whole lineup of different schools that I'll be going to. I'll be visiting St. Bridget of Kildare, St. Brandon the Navigator, St. James the Less, and today I'll be visiting St. Michael. So for our friends in the cafe, if you haven't gotten the opportunity to listen during our three o'clock hour, our school children, our fifth graders, will pray the Divine Mercy at 3 p.m. Love it. Love it. So the four that you're recording this week will be airing uh, starting March 11th. Yep. Mm -hmm. Right after the spirit drive. And then going through the first week of April. Outstanding. So pray for Amanda as she's entering into the blessings that are our Catholic schools. It's mm -hmm. a lot of fun. The kids mm -hmm. really enjoy it and the teachers do a wonderful job of uh, preparing them. So can't wait to hear them. Our gospel from this uh, Tuesday of the first 
week in the season of Lent is from Matthew chapter 6. This is uh, verses 7 to 15. Jesus said to his disciples, In praying, do not babble like the pagans who think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. This is how you are to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you forgive men their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, neither will your Father forgive your transgressions. Amen. Amen. A passage we're all familiar with, mm-hmm. right? And it's a prayer that we pray quite frequently. But it's nice to kind of slow down take a look at it and what uh, what our Lord has to say about it. If you forgive men their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, neither will your Father forgive your transgressions. Is that what stood out to you this morning, Dave? As it you did. Yeah, yeah. Um, we all have uh, a need, if not necessarily a desire, mm-hmm. to, to forgive. Because we've all been wronged, right? And, and we've wronged others. And that's what the Lord's saying here is forgive as you want the Father to forgive you. Mm-hmm. For myself this morning, uh, I think what stood out to me is do not babble. Um, the pa- Do not babble like the pagans who think they will be heard because of their many words. And uh, I, I just, I think what struck me about that is you know, maybe not necessarily the many words, although I think we can also fall into that, this idea of, oh, in order to be heard, in order for my prayers to be heard, I have to use many words or maybe even elegant words or mm. to sound like a saint or the right words, right? And so what stood out to me is just, I really think our Heavenly Father just wants us to come to Him as a child or even to him as a friend of just here's my heart and let's just have an honest open conversation and uh, to come away from this idea of my prayer has to sound a specific way or um, has to have a certain context you know uh, I think he wants to meet us just where we're at and that's fine and 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 in the our father you know he just really teaches us I think also what stood out to me is daily bread you know just uh Asking him for those daily needs and knowing and trusting that his graces are new every morning, that he lavishes on us those graces that we need in particular for that day and um, to trust trust him in that. Mm. Sometimes a, uh, a disposition to impress God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we can totally fall into that, yeah. right? Oh, I know I do. Cam, 
Yeah, I think for me, similarly to Amanda, actually two things stuck out to me first. So I was reading the Gospel and the Ascension app today, and I'm so in love with this app. It's one of my favorites on my phone. And it has a slightly different translation. Instead of saying babble, it says, uh, in praying, do not heap up empty phrases. Mm. And just like makes me think about when I pray, am I actually thinking about the words that I'm praying? Um, I have, my friends and I have this joke that when, when you hear people pray, sometimes you hear them use the word just a lot. Lord, just bless us. Or Lord, <laughs> Lord, we just love you. Yeah. And I'm like, well, yeah. well, actually, like when I go to pray, I'm not just asking for the Lord's <laughs> blessing most of the time. I'm like asking for that and then also some. And so why am I saying just, you know? Mm-hmm. And it and it really like, you know, in many ways makes you think, hmm, do I do I actually know and do I actually mean the words that I'm praying when I pray them? Um and even specifically, like, in the Our Father. So this is where the Lord led me as I was kind of praying through today's reading was um, when I say the words of the Our Father, do I actually mean them? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, does the, does that, do I live that? Do I mean that in my own life? Do, do I want your kingdom, Lord, every moment in every way, which means less of my kingdom? Mm. Do I want your will, which means less of my will do i want your daily bread which means less of my daily bread and and really just like thinking through it in a new way i think it's really easy especially with like memorized repetitive prayers that we find in like the rosary to it becomes more like a let's rattle this off the way that that one does and not actually think about the words when we're saying them and so I think that's kind of my takeaway from today's gospel, too, is as I go throughout my day and as I pray the prayers that I do to really think about the words that I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Do not heap up empty phrases. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that, Kim. As though you were like heaping up a plate at Thanksgiving, right. Right? just <laughs> piling it on. <laughs> Well, I think especially because we have these prayers that we've memorized since we were young, our Father, Hail Mary, we can very easily fall into Mm. just saying them with empty words. Yeah. One prayer that, another prayer that we're all familiar with too is the Apostles' Creed. And we're starting a new series with uh, Dr. Marlon Delatore in just a couple minutes. We'll be going through the Apostles' Creed, which is a big part of the Easter Vigil for the candidates and for all the faithful. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a couple minutes with Dr. Marlon Delatore. Oh, good Jesus, you are the Most High God, everlasting and always living. You have shown us the way to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit to guide us. We implore thy most sacred heart to have mercy on us in this time of need. Bless and protect the vulnerable. Give hope to all and fill our hearts with confidence in your divine mercy. Be our joy in the midst of suffering and our stability in the midst of uncertainty. Your forgiveness we seek, your love we need, your protection we implore. 
Forgive our sins and heal our wounds. Strengthen any weakness of faith and make us strong so as to give witness to your glory. Keep far from us any illness, pestilence, or harm. You are our refuge. You are our comfort. You are our hope. Through the intercession of Our Lady, health of the sick, we come to your most sacred heart and beseech your protection and blessing. Most sacred heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. Amen. Do you have a minute for lasting happiness? Living virtuously is the way to freedom, happiness, and holiness. To grow in virtue, we must learn about it, practice it, and persevere in it. This is what the saints have achieved with excellence. An excellent example of the virtue of charity is seen in St. John. John lived charity heroically by standing at the foot of the cross, staying with Jesus in true friendship. He loved God above all else and learned how to practice charity from Christ himself. He wrote a gospel and books of scripture which reveal to us the love of God and our vocation to love our neighbor as ourselves. Let us ask St. John to pray for us that we may grow in charity. Educate yourself in virtue. Learn more at educationinvirtue.com. Welcome back, friends, to the St. Gabriel Cafe. I'm Amanda Miller. I'm Dave Orsborn, and joining us now, as he does every Tuesday, Dr. Marlon Delatore, the Senior Director of Evangelization for the Columbus Diocese. Good morning, Doctor. Good morning, David and Amanda. How are you both? Good morning. Blessed, and looking forward to this series. Uh, Doctor, we were just talking um, about the Our Father uh, from today's uh, Gospel reading. And another prayer that we're all very familiar with is the Apostles' Creed. Mm -hmm. Um, At the Easter Vigil, we'll all be renewing our baptismal promises, and we'll be, uh, the presider will walk us through this renewal of of the baptismal vows. And that's Mm -hmm. based on the Apostles' Creed. So maybe we can spend some time talking about the Creed and uh, just opening it up. Where, where does the Apostles' Creed come from? Really, we look at the, the origin of the Creed. It really goes back to the proclamation of our Lord in Acts of the Apostles. So uh, if you want a, a biblical origin to it, uh, there is a profession of faith that occurs after the resurrection and after, really, we have this Pentecost sequence in Acts of the Apostles. And so uh, from an origin standpoint, uh, St. Peter is trying to galvanize all the people. Uh, everyone is, is, is in awe and euphoria. They've received the gift of the Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is joined with them. Now they're trying to figure out, what do I do with this? Mm-hmm. What, what do I do with this gift? How do I somehow uh, structure it or bring it into some sense of a proper spiritual conformity? And that's essentially what was happening. And St. Peter was entrusted with this in many respects, uh, being our, our, our initial uh, earthly father as the first figure of Christ. So he begins to reclaim and to re-identify what Christ did on earth to explain to both Jew and Gentile who were witnessed and present at that particular point in time, all right, this is how we are to live now. This is part of our structure. This is how we are to proclaim this identity now that we've received from Christ himself as the new way, as the new Christian. And so we look really from Acts chapter 2 from verse 14 on, in particular a reference to verse 37, really through 42, 
where it gives you a structure of, of belief, of prayer, of discernment, of sacrifice uh, that leads to our Lord. So this becomes part of the, the beautiful origin of the creed, because it really begins with the essence of, I believe. I believe now. I understand what this is referring to. And so when you look at the beginning of apostolic time with the apostles, this becomes really a summary or a synthesis of how we are to believe and profess our faith, which is a really beautiful thing to be illuminating us, uh, especially during this Lenten season. Dr. Marlon Delatorian, we're starting our series on the Apostles' Creed. So the very first line, uh, Doctor, of of the uh, of the creed is, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Mm-hmm. When, when we say believe, is that, yeah, I believe there is a God, or um, is it a both and, I believe there is a God, but then I also believe in his, and uh, trust in his promises? Sure. It's, it's, it's several things, Dave. I think when you look at the, the term, I believe, all right, there's something that's predicating that statement, meaning that I desire to be in communion mm. with a, a divine being. I desire to assent to something that is greater than me, that will give me protection, that will give me an opening to know him more intimately. And so those are two very important things before we say, I believe. The third is this, that you recognize yourself that you are part of a grand kingdom. And so these things happen really prior to your initial proclamation of saying, I believe, which really, when you look at it, then the renewal of baptism process takes on a greater weight or significance, because you're reaffirming that initial uh, entryway into proclaiming that you believe in God, the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. So you're, you're saying to yourself, I'm part of this scheme. I'm actually incorporated into this divine scheme of things, and that the, the moment I say, I believe, it's a reference to communion, of being of assent, of being accepted, being viewed as a child of God. That's what all this means. So when we say, I believe, all those things are happening at the same time. Uh, that's why it's significant that when you make the sign of the cross, all right, the first element or the first stanza of the cross is to the Father. That means that I assent to you, Lord. You are my Father in heaven, and I place my trust before you. So there's a, there's a huge interplay day that happens when you make this initial uh, proclamation of faith where you say, I believe. It's very powerful because w- when you really dive into it, uh, it really makes you ponder and think, okay, what am I walking into? And, and how will I live this out? Dr. Marlin, could you briefly draw kind of a bridge from our last segment with you on evangelization? And then mm-hmm. I, I'm really struck by just how much is impacted in this I believe statement, this recognition mm-hmm. that we are a part of the kingdom. Correct. You know, when, Amanda, when you or I are, are involved in the opportunity to, to proclaim the gospel of the Lord, so when we initiate this, uh, this initial charisma, all right, so when we begin to help someone understand what the charisma is, meaning that it's a message of salvation, and then evangelization is a process of how you disseminate that message and how you make it more visible, more tangible. All right, you're, you're basically making a pledge. All right, so you, you pledge on behalf of our Lord that you will speak well with, uh, of Him and transmit His message to someone who needs to hear it. Well, this pledge also takes on a unique identity because now you're going from 
proclaiming the Word of God, pledging that this is the true living Word of God, divine revelation, God Himself speaking to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now the pledge continues through the creed by saying, all right, let me show you how to live it. Let me demonstrate to you how I live out this Word of God, how we're called by Christ to intimately, on a daily basis, live this beautiful gift and provide a semblance of structure, of identity, and what it means to be a Catholic, what it means to be a Christian disciple, and how to actually assent on a daily basis this beautiful teaching of the Church. So uh, I would say the term pledge, Amanda, really becomes that bridge between both, because you're you're pledging to speak well of Him, now you're pledging to live well. Mm. And and, and that's important for us, not only just to, to preach the Word of God, but to live it in harmony with Him. Mm. And this becomes a beautiful thing to look at when you make this proclamation that I believe. And and I assume that that really sacramentally takes root with our baptism. Oh, abso- absolutely, because th- th- it's it's leading up to the grace. It's leading up to that actual entryway. I think when you, when you read Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3 and on, and why our Lord is baptized in front of St. John the Baptist, St. John really makes that initial pledge. He's the one that typifies this entryway to the kerygma, the proclamation of the gospel, the physical witness of the gospel in Christ, Christ now being baptized and demonstrating to the world, this is how you enter. So when you look at that beautiful scripture passage, and then you, and then you see Christ telling us how to live in the Beatitudes, how to pray to our Father, okay, now we have more substance to this message. Now this, I believe, makes a little bit more sense. And it's really a powerful thing because baptism becomes the entryway to solidify, in many respects, um, why we believe. Dr. Marlon Delatore here with us in the St. Gabriel Cafe talking about the Apostles' Creed. When you use the word pledge, uh, Doctor, it brings to mind the, mm-hmm. the Pledge of Allegiance that, uh, sure. you know, that uh, and just yeah, this is a pledge of allegiance, as you said. It, it's our assent as well as um, our commitment to follow him and to mm-hmm. serve and to serve his kingdom. Correct. I think uh, the, the term pledge really is very appropriate, David and Amanda, because it's saying that I will walk into this particular journey or this foray of how God loves me, and so I pledge to act in him and for him. I pledge to imitate him. I pledge to receive what he gives of me and then share it with others. It's really the, the, the greatest commandment to love your neighbor as yourself and to love God above all things, whether you look at Deuteronomy 6 or, or John 15, uh, when you see the, the, these bookends of how God calls us to love, so to speak. It's actually beginning with John 13. So this pledge means that I will love you, Lord, and that in loving you, I will also love my neighbor as myself. And this is a part of the synthesis or the symbol of our creedal identity. The creed is meant to be an expression of the harmony of love. And so when you use the term pledge, it's not just symbolic, it's actually literal. It's like, I will serve you. Um, when we make the Pledge of Allegiance, it's like, well, we pledge that we are in the United States, that we are American, and that we hold to the rights of liberty, justice, and the pursuit of happiness. So there's there's a, a parallel there that our eternal happiness is with God. Dr. Marlin, I love it that even in this first word, I believe in God, there is so much. And I and I hope, <laughs> um, I really hope that all of us now can take, anytime we say the, the Apostles' mm-hmm. Creed, we can really take this in, this idea of, you know, not only are we 
are we saying we believe, but it really implies, okay, a pledge, an assent to serve, uh, a really our identity being rooted in being a part of the kingdom, but also the call to disseminate that and share and spread the gospel. There's so much to even contemplate in this first word. I, I, yeah, there is. Please go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, Doctor, was, was there ever discussion around in, in the Creed, either in the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed, to make it a, a communal um, pledge using we rather than I? Well, I think when you look at the terms, we're getting to the weeds here a little bit, but when you look at the, the initial entrance of the Council of Jerusalem, or you look at the Neo-Constantinople Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed itself, I mean, the, the whole issue was, all right, who are we as a body of Christ? Are we united to Him in communal uh, celebration? Are we united to Him in ascent as an initial body? Are we united to Him in more of a... Uh, 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 of a celebration of faith. So all those things were being discussed uh, through the early councils, and the apostles were trying to figure out, all right, is it I or is it we? Uh, wh- what are we meant to be? Basically, the initial understanding was that every single individual, all right, is committed. The moment you make your son of faith, you are literally committed to God himself and through his son. And that the, the I statement is integral to that because it is your personal assent to him as a specific individual within the communal body of the Church. And so when we make an I statement, say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, first and foremost, you're the specific child of God that, that, were, that was made in the image of likeness to ascend to Him. As the body is gathered together in terms of these I statements with, say, hundreds of thousands of people, all of you are literally part of the one body of Christ. And so there are not multiple bodies, there's just one body. So the I statement is key to that, and that was part of the entire discussion of the early Church. Um, the, the greatest example I can share with you would be to read St. Ambrose's Baptismal Catechesis. St. Ambrose talks about this specifically regarding the I statement's entryway into the kingdom of God through baptism, uh, ascend of faith to the creed, and also our profession of faith. He makes these references that we are one body in Christ, one holy, Catholic, apostolic, and that I believe, that singular belief, means that you're part of the universal body of our Lord. Hope that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And just with uh, a bunch of eyes make a big we, right? Yeah, exactly. So when you join an organization, I'm I'm thinking of military service. Um, Mm -hmm. It it, it is that personal ascent um, that all of it is based on. You, You can't have an army... And, um, working together, or a church working together, unless you have everyone individually making that ascent. Correct, and that's why when you say, I believe, it's not just to our Lord Himself, obviously, <clears throat> but you're also believing in the Son mm-hmm. and the Holy Spirit. So when you look at the Creed itself, for example, it's broken up into those three parts of, of, of the Trinitarian dogma of our, of our faith meaning you ascend to God, you ascend to, obviously, the Son of God, you ascend to the Spirit of God. And when you make the sign of the cross, literally, that initial entryway to, to say, I believe, means, yes, I ascend to God, that God sent His only begotten Son, and that His Son sent the Spirit to continue the kingdom of God on earth until He comes again. That's literally what you're walking into the moment you say, I believe. And that is reassuring. Once you understand the full ramifications of the moment you say, I believe. It's not just a random thought or declaration. It's like I'm walking into 
really a, a pathway to eternity if I so choose. And it's very significant. And if we, if we do, for example, a, a catechesis or unwrap this even further, um, I think it would blow people's minds away. Mm-hmm. Why don't we pick up there um, next Tuesday when we get back together and talk about the, uh, uh, the Trinitarian aspect of the Creed? I'd love to. Outstanding Dr. Marlon Delatore, the Senior Director of Evangelization for the Columbus Diocese. Thanks for being with us, Doctor. Appreciate it. God bless you both. Talk to you next Tuesday. Sounds good. Coming up next here in the St. Gabriel Cafe, Father Jacques Kick, and we'll break open Lent together and talking about detachment and, and the interior life. Stay with us. A prayer in devotion to the holy face of Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, in presenting ourselves before thine adorable face, to ask of thee the graces of which we stand most in need, we beseech thee, above all, to grant us that interior disposition of never refusing at any time to do what thou requirest of us by thy holy commandments and divine inspirations. Amen. I went to church and just sat there and listened. I really didn't absorb anything. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control and church was actually a a burden to me. I had this sin that I carried in my heart for a long time. And I told myself for many, many years that the Lord wouldn't forgive me for this. When, When Father in the confessional says, your sins are forgiven, There truly is a a feeling of of weight lifted off. I don't care if it's two or three little sins that you're carrying, there's a feeling of I can breathe deeply again. I feel pure inside and and I'm ready to come to Mass. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home. If you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. When you come home to to the church, you're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Some atheists argue that the universe is a mere brute fact. The universe just exists, they say, and that's that. It has no explanation at all. How can we respond? First, atheists wouldn't allow theists to use this argument. Can you imagine if a theist said, God's just a brute fact, no rhyme or reason to his existence? he'd be laughed off the stage. Second, the argument is self-refuting. It denies rational argumentation for the belief itself. If brute facts are possible, well then the conclusion, the universe is a brute fact, itself might be a brute fact, having no connection to truth or logic, in which case we would have no reason to accept it as true. Therefore, the argument defeats itself. For these reasons, we can say that it's absurd to argue that the universe just exists without any sort of explanation. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Hi friends, welcome back to the St. Gabriel Cafe. I'm Amanda Miller. I'm Dave Orsborn and we're joined now in the cafe by Father Jacques Kick pastor of Our Lady of Victory and Our Lady of Lebanon, Maronite Mission of Columbus. Good morning, Father. Good morning. Are you having a great Lent? 
It is a beautiful season. We enjoy it. And in the Maronite, right, Lent begins a little bit earlier. Yes, we begin on Ash Monday mm-hmm. instead of Ash Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Does that have to do with the 40 days? Uh, yeah, how... it's part of our tradition. And mm-hmm. I think it makes sense to start on Monday, start the beginning of the week, mm-hmm. because uh, uh, the f- the last Sunday that opens Lent is the Sunday, the wedding at Cana. Mm-hmm. So it opens Lent, and then we begin right away. And your readings are different throughout the season as well. Yes. So there is a theme, the theme of transformation, And the Sunday that opens Lent, like I said, the wedding at Cana sets the tone for the transformation. So as Christ transformed water into wine, that is that we we are called to be transformed throughout Lent from an earthly nature to a divine nature. And the wedding at Cana itself is a shadow of Christ's sacrifice, Mm -hmm. Passover, where he changed also his body and his blood into wine, his the wine into his blood, and on the cross also offered himself. And Easter is the true wedding, and Cana is the prefiguration of that wedding. And so it also sets the theme of joy throughout Lent. We started with the wedding feast. Mm. And throughout Lent, so in between those two feasts, those two weddings, there the theme is transformation. So we have a series of miracles that begin with the healing of the leper, which we celebrated last Sunday. Next Sunday, the hemorrhaging woman, Mm. another transformation. Third after that is the prodigal son, which is a transformation of a different nature. It's not a physical healing, it's a spiritual healing. And it comes right in the middle of Lent to say this is, an, this is a, an important miracle as well, the transformation of the spirit. And then after that, there is the healing of the paralytic, which also included a physical and a spiritual healing as well. He forgave his sins. He forgave him his sins. And finally, the healing of the blind man, which wow. is, a, yes, which is a beautiful, because they were on their way to Jerusalem. So, you feel the tension getting getting bigger. And after that, there's Palm, Palm Sunday and Holy Week. And so a series of miracles and transformations and that this is what we're invited to live throughout Lent, to be transformed like Jesus, like all these people who sought Jesus for healing and transformation. Now you serve uh, the Maronite community as well as... Uh, the Latin Rite community at yes. Our Lady of Victory. What does this, uh, for your priesthood, for you personally, to be immersed in the two rites and the different scripture passages, what's that like for you? I mean, it, <laughs> I am I think it's got to be amazing to, to put words in your mouth. I think Father likes the question. He's beaming. Tell us, <laughs> Father. <laughs> no, I love it because, like you said, it is very enriching to see the, the, the two traditions of the church and to have to do both. Just now, when I when you, when you I entered, you were talking with Dr. Marlon De La Torre mm-hmm. about the creed. Mm-hmm. In the Roman Catholic rite, we say, I believe. Yep. In the Maronite, we say, we believe. 
<laughs> and I can see the richness of both oh, yeah. both uh, formulas. I see how beautiful it is to say my own faith, that I believe I am part of this faith, and the beauty of saying we believe as a community, mm. and I love both. I just have to pay attention not to mix them up. <laughs> <laughs> We're joined here by Father Jacques Kick. Uh, Father Jacques is pastor of Our Lady of Victory and Our Lady of Lebanon Maronite Mission here in Columbus. So, Father, when I was um, praying this morning, I wanted to talk to you. Well, let, let's uh, jump into here first with some of the history of uh, with St. Maron, who... Did I say that right? Yes. Okay, boom. Uh, we celebrated his feast earlier this month, February 9th. Okay, good. Um, th- there's been a history, as I understand it, of um, very much with uh, Marin and, and uh, the other early um, saints of, of the Maronite rite of, of journeying. I mean, uh, of a lot of movement and uh, almost back to the Exodus story, you know, escaping persecution, finding um, safety and a place to worship and then more movement and just uh, a lot of unsettledness, I guess is one way to say it, a lot of suffering. Is Is that a good read of the origins of the right? That is very accurate. That is very true. So St. Marin, who lived in the 4th century, decided that he was inspired by God to go up a mountain, dedicate himself to the worship of God. And back then there were many trends in monastic life and ascetism. He chose to live in the open. He, the, his biographer says he erected a tent, but he rarely ever entered the tent. There was a pagan temple that he dedicated to God, but he lived out in the open, okay. worshiping God. And he was so holy, and he was a big saint. So many people followed him. And soon he had many disciples which joined him. And so he did not mean to start a movement in the church. He just wanted to be left alone to worship. <laughs> <laughs> really, he sought yeah. solitude. Mm-hmm. But the disciples followed, and soon after, people followed him. And after he died, that community of monks and nuns as well, consecrated men and women, got together and lived in a monastery. And that community of people who loved their way of life, who were also inspired by them, lived around the monastery. And that is how the Maronite Church came to be, a community that that gathered around the monastery to pray, to do the office prayers, to celebrate Mass and go out work in the fields and come back. So the the Maronite Church was born out of the womb of the monastery. This is how we say it. Okay. And because when I think of uh, the Desert Fathers, they go into their cells. Their life is very much in in in, in their cells and not um, lived as much in community. They would leave their cells then to go to to worship together and walk a, a pretty good distance in order to do that. Right from what I'm understanding with, with St. Marin, from the very beginning, it was, as you said, in the open, and then others came to him, and then that from that um, discipleship and more people coming, they built the monastery. Correct. 
They okay. built the monastery that was called Beit Maroon, the House of Maroon. Maroon is how we pronounce St. Marin in mm-hmm. Syriac. So central Ohio, it's Marin. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the peculiar thing about the Maronite church and St. Marin is that he's the only saint who has a church named after him. So all of the Eastern churches, even the Western, we call it Roman Catholic in reference to Rome. Mm-hmm. or Not Roman about. N- no. Right. No. Dad joke. We have the Byzantine, which the Greek church, so another ethnic. They're all named after their ethnicities or language. So the Greek, the Armenian church, etc., etc. Only the Maronite church is named after a saint, a person. So he's the only saint who has a church community in the Catholic Church in his name. And mm-hmm. he, and we are the only Eastern Church who never broke off from Rome. All the other Eastern Churches broke off at a certain point that we call the Orthodox Church. All of the Eastern Rites, the Syriac, the Chaldean, the Coptic, the Armenian, the Greek, they all became Orthodox, and some of them came back. So now we have two branches of every Eastern Catholic Church, mm-hmm. except the Maronite. Mm-hmm. We never broke off. So we're the only Eastern Church that was not, that never knew any internal division and that was never separated from Rome. And that's another plus for St. Marin. <laughs> <laughs> Father Jacques, uh, with the, I guess, background of the Maronite um, rite, it really seems like it comes comes from a tradition of these desert fathers and and maybe even cultivating a a mystic kind of monastic uh, spirituality. That could is you, true. That is so ex- true. Explain that maybe a little more of how that's imbued in maybe the the living of the faith. Right. So there is a big monastic tradition, like we just said it started out from this uh, uh, hermetic monastic tradition that emphasizes the, the mysticism and the mystery of God in creation. So oh, it is similar to the Desert Fathers. However, however it is also different in that um, in, the, in the area of Antioch, modern-day Turkey, so we're talking that region of southern Turkey, Syria, Lebanon, maybe part of Iraq as well, that Antiochian spirituality was focused on the humanity of Christ and how his divinity shows through his humanity, through the incarnation. And so the, our mysticism is inspired by that. And we, so we, let's say for Lent, for example, how Ent is it, Lent is a way to mystically enter and be united and transformed with Christ. Lent, it, without this mystical meaning to it for us, is just a diet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. yeah. So you're supposed to couple your fasting with prayer and meditation and sacrifice so that they all tie in together to get you closer to Jesus in a mystical fashion. Yeah, you're supposed to all that all your fasting is supposed to n- nourish your meditation and your prayer life. Otherwise, it's just you're, why would you abstain from food? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when we use the word mystical, 
I guess what what exactly are we implying or or practically what does it look like? It's the hidden, the unseen through the scene. Hmm. So you see something, but through what you see, you go on further and beyond to what you cannot see. It's just, let's say, the Eucharist. You see bread and wine, but mystically, that is the body and blood of Christ. So it takes you beyond the physical elements that you see. This is what we mean by mystical. For for the Saint Marinin, uh, the Desert Fathers, there was a um, a desire to to leave, right? To to yes. go out, detachment, and, detachment. How essential is that detachment? And maybe we can get to. I, I prayed over a, a passage from Luke chapter six this morning. How essential is is that? Um, that detachment to really going into the mystical uh, interior life. In fact, detachment, you nailed it. It's the number one element. It is the pillar of monastic life. Score. And, <laughs> right. <laughs> and spiritual life and mystical life. You have to, as if, shed off these layers of, 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 of this carnal nature mm-hmm. to be detached of all these uh, earthly things that pull you down. In order to rise up, and, and as our prayers say, like uh, with wings of angels, mm. rise up to heaven, you have to be detached with all the, from all these weights that pull you down. And we all know it. We live it in our daily life. You know, our uh, daily concerns, our phones, our tablets, our computers, even work. Work and striving to make a living and all these things, they just keep us busy. And yeah. so no time to pray. This is the one thing I always hear. Father, we have no time to pray. Why? Because you're not being detached. Or you have all these things pulling you down. God is so good. Uh, providentially, I'm working my way through, uh, just as a part of my morning prayer, uh, the uh, Gospel of Luke now. And today's reading was a passage from Luke 6, and this is the blessings and the woes. So... Um, Blessed are, are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you that hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you that weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you, and cast out your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. The commentary that I read with that was from Bishop Barron, and he, he describes this passage as, a hermeneutic of detachment and those um, he's going through the, the poor, the hungry, the weeping uh, when men hate you as detaching from addictions. So that detachment from material things is means to be poor detaching from sensual pleasure um, and, and you know, other addictions like that as hungering detachment from good feelings and emotional highs as detaching from uh, or is is the weeping and then detaching from the esteem of others as when men hate you and that that really fits in i think nicely with uh, with what you were discussing father exactly 
And so that's a beautiful, and that's also a beautiful way to put it by Bishop Barron, the hermeneutics of detachment. I would say in a layman's terms, the recipe for detachment. <laughs> nice, yeah. And, and St. Ignatius would say indifference, I guess is the term that St. Ignatius yes. would use. Yes, uh, but um, in our Eastern tradition and spirituality, detachment is the world, Okay, is the word. Because just as you said, these are the things that pull us down, the earthly things that keep pulling us down. And Jesus said this to the crowds. If you read the passage right before, all these crowds gathered seeking healing and teaching a word from Jesus, a word of healing and a word of comfort to comfort them. And so Jesus told them these things. Blessed are you if you weep now, if you sought me now mm. to be detached from all these things. Blessed are you, for you will inherit greater things. And this ties in with mysticism. So why would you be detached? Of, why would you weep? Why, why would you seek to be poor? Why would you seek to be unhappy? Jesus is not inviting us to a life of misery. Right. This is mysticism. Mm. Uh, to be poor in the spirit, to, to hunger for righteousness, to hunger for spiritual things, to be to be okay if you're suffering in this life. This is what he means. Blessed are you who weep now. Because, see, it doesn't end there. Mm -hmm. Because you have a higher and a better hope. Mysticism. You, sac you fast today to come closer to Jesus. This is the detachment. You get detached from all these things and you shed them off as layers. And this is how... We advanced in spiritual life. St. John, he, there's St. John of Climacus, he says you climb a ladder. He, he, he says it's like climbing a ladder or like we say you're shedding off one layer like an onion, hmm. one layer after the other of this attachment to physical things, to these little things that, that we enjoy in life, the comfort mm -hmm. of daily life. And... These little sufferings that we have or voluntary sufferings that we inflict upon ourselves like fasting remind us that that's not what life is about. That's not the important thing. We enjoy them, yes, but like I said, we enjoy food. Who doesn't enjoy good food? Mm -hmm. But you fast to remember that there's something more important than food, spiritual life, spiritual nourishment. And this is what Jesus is saying here. Father Jack, I I suppose though that doesn't just imply the the hope that we have in heaven. We get a taste of that now, and as you said, the growth in spiritual life now, and so this detachment, um, really helping us to grow in our relationship with Christ, so that we can taste those heavenly glories now. Yes, that's exactly what it is, and even Saint Paul says it: "You have been raised up to the heavens." So how do you experience that if not through a mystical, spiritual experience whereby you, you put aside your human experience and seek something beyond that? And th this, th this beyond is what fueled all Christian spirituality, even monastic life, and, and all our desire to know what's beyond and what's more than this life, humankind has always been spiritual. 
all civilizations, all throughout history, we developed spiritual things and worship methods and ways. And why? Why? Because we're inherently spiritual beings that want to have this heavenly experience. But with Jesus, St. Athanasius said, God became man so that man can become like God. And so we have the privilege of having that special spiritual experience with Jesus because he came down to pull us up. So this is... and. We follow his teachings to get to that. Well, and that, that ties in nicely then. Uh, we're speaking with Father Jacques Kick um, with how you progress through Lent through a series of transformations. Yes. Right? I mean, yeah. it, it, it's, it's all about um, uh, conversion leading to transformation. Exactly. It's all about joining Jesus on that journey mm-hmm. that took him from the beginning of his ministry, the wedding at Cana, that's where it starts, first Sunday of Lent, beginning very first miracle to the last, which is his resurrection. And as you accompany Jesus on that journey of healing, spiritual, physical, and his teachings, you are invited to enter, to join in those crowds and follow Jesus with that transformative journey. And a journey is supposed to transform us. You, you start somewhere, but you're mm-hmm. not supposed to end there. You're supposed <laughs> to end somewhere else. Father, I find this actually, uh, I'm not entirely sure we all really fully, I guess, realize that we are called, I, just a moment ago you said, so man can become like God. That literally we are called to be divinized yes i'm not entirely sure i know what that means (laughs) well let me start with a prayer that we say in our liturgy right after the words of the consecration we say you have united O lord your divinity with our humanity in our humanity with your divinity your life with our mortality and our mortality with your life you have assumed what is ours and you have given us what is yours for the life and salvation of our souls. To you be glory forever. So mm, That's beautiful. Jesus has united his divinity with our humanity in order to lift us up, to unite our mortality with his divinity. And that was the original purpose of God in creation. When he first created Adam and Eve, he created them in his image and likeness. And he, they were invited to live that nature, to live that calling, that vocation, and to grow in the image and likeness of God so that they can be like God. However, the serpent, if you read what the serpent said, oh, God told you don't eat from that food because if you eat it, you'll become like God. So the serpent offered them a shortcut, a false, a wrong shortcut of divinization. But that was the original plan of God. Mm. And so Jesus restores that plan to bring us back to the image and likeness of God and invites us to grow in that image and likeness. Like he is the model of that growth, of that divinity united with humanity we are also invited to live that vocation, to be united to him 
and the more we are united to him. That is why we eat his body and blood. Many of our Syriac poets and saints in the church say that when we eat the body, when we consume Christ, we become Christ Mm -hmm. because you are what you consume. So we consume Christ so many times in our lifetime so that when Christ sees us, he can identify himself. He can see himself in us and he can recognize us because he sees himself in us. This is that process of becoming Saint Athanasius of Alexandria is the one who says that. Mm. We're speaking with Father Jacques Kick here in the St. Gabriel Cafe this morning. What a stumbling block that is to us in to our our growth in the spiritual life is, is to deny that reality of of who we are as as temporal and spiritual beings, right? And and, and our denial of that doesn't change that reality, but it holds us back from that communion with the growth and walk with Christ or growing closer to God, right? Exactly. The more we deny it, the more it comes back. Like I said, throughout human history, mankind has always been spiritual and has always found ways, even in the most uh, carnal and uh, unspiritual societies uh, uh, like ancient Rome or like today, people still find ways to express that spiritual um, thirst within them by developing you know, certain spiritual uh, behaviors or uh, traditions or seeking the future and the unknown and, you know, future telling and all those things. We always have a, have a desire to know what's beyond mm. and to express that spirituality. But it's all, it, it's, it, it expresses our, our desire, like St. Augustine said, God, you have created us with this emptiness, with this desire that only you can quench. So this is why we, Jesus comes and quenches that thirst. And at the renewal of our baptismal promises there at the Easter Vigil and that the catechumens as well as all the, the baptized faithful will be making, the very first um, statement, the presider asks, do you reject Satan and all his works and all of his empty promises? Mm. And we all say, I do. Yes. Father uh, Jacques, can we have your blessing? Yes. Let's ask God Almighty to bless us today in the Spirit to give us all the blessings and graces we need to live this Lent in faith and hope and charity. Amen. 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 God love you all. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for being with us today.